Hail and welcome. This is again, I, Toby Thursman, host of Hated Podcast. Um, quick little shout out to some selfless plugs for myself and for the podcast. Um, I now have an email set up for the podcast, so you can, if you're a listener and you're um, just kind of maintaining um, a, a genuine, genuine following, um, or a general following, I mean, of the show, and you would like to communicate and be like, hey, make your show better, and I'll be like, well, how do you think I should do that? Um, and then you can give me suggestions. Um, if you feel like you, well, I mean, you like the show, or you like a certain episode, or you like a certain part of an episode, or some sort of topic I talked about, or if you want me to touch on something else that I, I may have like mentioned briefly, but you didn't really catch, or I didn't really explain much on, um, just to kind of let me know. Um, and that'll be the way to do it. Um, that podcast, uh, the, the podcast email is hail, H-A-I-L dot podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot at uh, gmail.com. So that's uh, the email for that. It's hail dot podcast dot com or at hail dot podcast at gmail.com is the way that that runs. Um, the other thing is. I also um, set up a Twitter account for that, and that is at, um, it's at Podcast Hail. If you go to the website, um, which I forget what the website is, but I can actually find it really quickly. Um, I can find it actually pretty quickly. Um, I do believe I have it set up somewhere here. Yes, um, it is www.cssp.encr15 at wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com. Um, I wasn't able to get my own domain name without paying for it, and as you know, I'm broke as fuck. Um, so if I were to go ahead and try to do stuff, this podcast for money... Um, I would use that money to go towards, um, I would, I would obviously use this money to go towards, um, the podcast. Um, and I would use it to get a site, an official, like, you know, domain and, you know, all the other stuff. But yeah, so, um, go ahead and follow us and find me at, uh, and find the podcast on Twitter and email us. And you go ahead and check the website out. Uh, I'm going to be trying to keep more updates on the website of, like, new episodes. Now that I've got any sort of routine of how I'm going to do it and how I've recorded. Now that I've kind of taken on some of this responsibility of having, like, social media and stuff. Um, I'm going to try to keep up on that. No promises, obviously, because i got a full-time job, a wife, and a life to kind of maintain um, separate from the podcast. So... Episodes are the only thing I can guarantee I'm going to keep doing. Um, but I do have a lot of free time on my hands, typically, so uh, I'll try to maintain um, maintain that as best I can. Um, otherwise, let's get up into it, and let's start with... Uh, so, last episode, talking about Muspelheim. 
um, and Surtur. I talked a little bit about um, uh, Logi, which I didn't. I really after I listened to it, re-listened to the whole episode um, before I posted or get ready to post. Um, that I completely forgot about Logi, but uh, I pretty much kind of covered him anyway in the story of Logi and wildfire and comes comes some consumption of things and how like treasure gods are typically like eaters and that kind of stuff. So that kind of like I guess like the best I could cover him. I don't think there's any other like mentions of him really. Um, besides in Utgard Loki's uh, hall of Utgard. Um, but, uh, so, there's that, um, and I mentioned I would talk about Niflheim today, um, on this episode, so, first session, I'm gonna cover Niflheim, I'm gonna talk about how icy and lovely it is, and then, um, we'll kinda go from there, um, so, um, from the Old Norse, it's Niflheimr, and it means that literally means World of Fog, which is kind of interesting since we always consider it ice and stuff, and that's kind of like what it is. It's, yeah, um, it's World of Fog. Um, it is one of the nine worlds of the Norse mythology of the homeland of primordial darkness, cold, mist, and ice. Um, as such, it's the opposite cosmolog- cosmological um, principle of Muspelheim. Um, in the world of fire and heat. Um, so basically, you can have, you know, hot and cold, fire, ice, you know, those, those are just positions there. Um, and the Norse uh, uh, creation narrative, as related by the medieval Christian Icelandic historian Snorri Sturluson, the first being, the giant Ymir, um, was born when ice from Niflheim and fire from Muspelheim met in the middle of Gap. Uh, the abyss that had formally separated them. So there was, from the understanding, there was uh, two worlds. There was Muspelheim, the world of fire, and uh, Niflheim, the world of fog or mist, ice, cold. And they met in Gap, which is the void or like this great massive separation. Um, and that kind of brought creation into it with, uh, what it, well, it created Ymir, um, which I will cover in this episode as well. Um, so the word, uh, the word Niflheim is only found in the works of Snorri and is often used interchangeably with Nifl, um, Nifhel, sorry, um, a poetic establishment of hell, uh, the world of the dead. Like in the underworld, um, like Helheim. Uh, Nifl, Nifl is found in Old Norse poems that are much older than Snorri was works. It's entirely possible that the word Nifelheim is an invention of Snorri's. It's possible, it's impossible to know whether the attendant concept is of similarity, similarly late and sus- spurious origins because our only source for anything that even pretends to be a full account of the heathen Norse creation narrative comes from, you guessed it, the works of Snorri. So, what this is trying to say is, got no fucking idea because they didn't write any shit down. Um, they're just fucking just 
talking to each other. I never wrote any fucking thing down. So, way later, um, it was 11th, it's, it's from, there's a good, like, 300 years of the Viking era, um, where these stories were prevalent, and the fluctuation of gods took power, and a lot of these stories became about, and mythology was created, um, and so... The thing is, with um, that kind of being understood, is that from, like, the late 8th century all the way down um, until the 11th century, um, uh, so until from the 8th century to the 11th century was the Viking era. Um, we don't see, um, we don't see these Serlington's writings until the 13th century, which is, um, 200, no, 300 years later, because it's, 11th century is 1000 B, 1000 BCE. I believe, or AD or whatever, um, thousand, you're 1,000 pretty much, and then, so, 1,100, 1,200, 1,100 would be 12th century, so, yeah, so it's like 200 years later, sorry, I did the math there, um, I had to pull out some fingers and some toes and count my nose and, yeah, um, basically, um, we don't have any actual records, really, of complete stories from the, like, the actual Norse people. And so the best we have to go off of is Snorri, um, which is a direct descendant of Snorri the Gothi, as I talked about in a previous episode. But unfortunately, he was also he was Christian, and he's from Iceland, um, so he's not from the native lands of, you know, Denmark. Sweden and Norway, um, and he, so Edda was the last place, the last, you know, city, um, to be converted to Christianity, um, and that is in Norway, Edda, Norway, um, however, by the 13th century, I do believe, I want to say was already converted, but, um, Iceland had kind of found Christianity sooner than that, I do believe. Um, however, with the, you know, high influence of gods and whatnot, but um, the uh, the gods played a really, really big part um, in a lot of things up until uh, the end of the 11th century. Um, and by the 12th, 13th century, pretty much Christianity had taken over and killed the gods and killed all pagan traditions and beliefs and everything. And it, we were such a bastardized community of people uh, that at that point, or Scandinavians were such, you know, converted people that no one really knew um, any of the old ways. Um, I mean, you might find some really, really, really old cave writings or something somewhere in a fjord by some seer that was like, oh, fuck, the, you know, this Christ God has killed us all. Um, I'm going to write this shit down so the gods preserves, but, I mean, 
it wasn't really that common um, for those people to write stuff down unless it was about land or property or who for the, you know, the sagas and that kind of stuff. But even the sagas are cautionary tales of why you should be Christian instead of pagan a lot of the times. Um, like Eric the Red Saga, talking about, um, I think it's like Torval, the hunter or some shit, um, calling upon Thor to, or Thorval. Um, anyway, he, his, his name is basically like Thor, or Tor, um, which is another uh, version of Thor. Um, he asks Thor for an offering, and this whale gets beached on, you know, on the shore, and they eat from it, and then they all get sick. Um, and they all blame him and Thor for being, you know, false gods and whatever. Um, so it's literally just a cautionary tale. A lot of them are very pro-Christian, um, anti-pagan. And they're very cautionary tales to, like, why you shouldn't be pagan um, in that time. Um, Eric the Red Saga is actually a Icelandic saga of Eric the Red um, and then his son Leif Eriksson um, discovering Vinland and whatnot. It's, uh, you know, the first, you know, discovery of, our, of my continent that I live on. Um, and most of us that listen to, most of the kindred that listen to this podcast, so... Hail to uh, Leif Erikson. Um, anyway, so... With that kind of being covered, um, I'm going to kind of touch on Ymir real quick, because i got a good few minutes here to still kind of cover Ymir. Um, Ymir, created from the two... Um, the two worlds... The world of ice and the world of fire, meeting getting get up, and um, so as a first giant, he's the ancestor of all the other giants. He is sort of like the giant allfather, um, and since almost all the gods are partially descended from giants, he's their ancestor as well. Another name for Ymir is some in some old Norse poems. Is Ergilmer, which is sand or gravel screamer, which is kind of interesting because I mean, the uh, the giants are always depicted as some sort of uh, primordial being um, related to the earth or chaos and you know chaotic events and that kind of stuff. So it kind of is part of the course for giants, um, according to the medieval Icelandic scholar Snorri Sturluson. Again. Um, Ymir was born from the fire of Muspelheim and Ayas from Niflheim met in the abyss Ginnungagap. Um, Ymir was sickled, uh, sickled by the cow, um, Idum, Hidumla, Hidumla, um, I had to like, so normally be Odumla, but I know it's not Al because that's a Tolkien thing and not a Norse or Icelandic thing. I'm going off of uh, these a lot of these pronunciations with the Icelandic pronunciation of, the, of a Norse word because it's the closest I can get to and it's the closest I can find. Um, and uh, they don't really, you know. So, Idumla um, for his nourishment. Okay. When he slept, several other giants were um, conceived asexually in Ymir's hermaphroditic, hermaphroditic body and spontaneously sprang from his legs and the sweat from his armpits. Um, Adam Love received her nourishment from a salt lick, and as she licked 
uh, being from Buri, uh, a being named Buri, the first of the SCO gods, was freed from within the salt. He produced a son, Bor, who mated with Bestla, one of the one of Ymir's descendants. From their um, union came Odin, the chief of the Aesir, and his two brothers, Vili and Ve. Um, so we now have the three oldest Aesir, besides Buri and Bor. Um, um, Odin, Vili, Ve. Um, the Divine Brothers then slew Ymir and fashioned the cosmos from his corpse. Um, as one of the poems in the poetic edit, Grimnismal, or a song of the Hooded One, which is sort of like talking about, I want to say it talks about Odin. Um, yeah, it says, from Ymir's flesh the earth was created, from his and from his sweat, um, or in some, or blood, uh, the sea, I've always heard it be the blood, but the sweat too. Um, the sea, mountains from bone, trees from hair, and his skull, the sky. From his eyebrows, the blith gods made Midgard, home of the sons of men, and from his brains, they sculpted the grim clouds. Um, the giant par excellence. Well, it's a weird header they used. I don't know. Um, thematically, Ymir is a personification of the chaos before creation, which is also depicted in the impersonal void of Gingagap. Other, uh, both Ymir and Gingagap um, are ways of talking about limitless, limitless potential that isn't actualized, that hasn't yet become the particular things that we find in the world among us. This is why the Vikings described it as a void. Um, um, in the parenthesis, as have countless other peoples considered the darkness upon the face of the deep, um, of the first chapters of Genesis, for example, um, it is no, it is no, nothingness, nothingness, basically, sorry, it did, did it weird, I read it weird, um, but it nevertheless contains the basic stuff out of which the gods can make true things, in this case, the primal matter is Ymir's body, which the gods tear apart to craft the elements. Um, in the worlds and nothing else. Um, it's extremely fitting for Ymir to be the progenitor, progenitor of the giants. Um, for this is a general rule the giants occupy in Norse myth. Um, they are the forces of formless chaos who are always threatening to corrupt and ultimately overturn the gods' created order. And at Ragnarok, they succeed. Um, but the giants are more than just forces of destruction. And in the worlds of medievalist um, Margaret Clooney's Ross. Um, so in the words of medievalists, oh, Margaret Clooney's Ross, okay. Characteristically, the gods covet important natural resources um, with which the giants own, then steal them and turn them into their own advantage by utilizing them to create culture. That is, they put the giants' raw materials to work for themselves. These raw materials are of diverse kinds and include intellectual capital, which, um, such as the ability to brew ale, um, as well as the cauldron in which it is made, and the abstractions made concrete like the meat of poetry and the runes of wisdom. Um, so what she's covering there is basically um, the mead of poetry or Kavasi's mead, um, which I will cover. Um, I'll talk about mead in an entire episode because I really like I, I love mead. 
I have not had a chance to taste any meat, and I so want to. We can get it for 12 bottles, 12 bucks for a bottle of standard or blackberry mead um, from Honeywood uh, or Honeywood Winery, which is here in Salem, really close. Oh, I wish I could have some. Um, not only does Ymir fit this pattern, mythology speak, mythologically speaking, uh, his death and disbodiment is a paradigmatic uh, model for this pattern. So it explains why Ymir is depicted as a hermaphrodite who can reproduce um, his own asexually. Not his own asexually. Um, different notation. Yeah. Um, including sexual differentiation didn't exist yet. The gods had to create that as part of their task by, of giving differentiated forms to what had previously been formless and undifferentiated. Um various other creation myths from other peoples have used a hermaphroditic being to illustrate this same concept. Um, actually, it happens that I know about um, the hermaphrodite is considered the perfect being um, in alchemical formulas and stuff because it has both the, the both part, parts um, of both male and female. You'd have equal hormones and whatever. It, basically, it's, it, it's the eclipse. Um, it is a it's a it's the full eclipse and so it has a really um powerful meaning and when something uh hermaphrodemitic features are very important in uh, alchemical uh, formulas because of balance. Um, um so um so that we can be confident that this is also what the Norse meant here despite the superficial um counterexample of um Adamla and her utter. After all, Norse mythology has never been, it's never an airtight system. Um, so, basically, the rest of this just kind of goes on to like what his name means etymologically and stuff, which is interesting, but not what I'm about here about. Basically, he's just the first giant um, to ever be created, and he is the ancestor of all, um, both the earth, the people. Um, actually, they never covered this, but dwarves. Um, I remember reading somewhere that the dwarves were maggots. Um, uh, they were like basically like made from the maggots of whatever. Um, so that's fun. Um, I'm gonna hit you back with. I'm gonna get into uh, Nidhogg actually, which um, will kind of bring us into another topic of like Yggdrasil, the World Tree. And how the nine worlds, all the rest of the nine worlds believe on its branches and all of that stuff. Um, as well as the giant eagle and Zorazhaskar the squirrel. Uh, uh, but I will cover, I want to cover Nidhogg in the next episode. Um, so, or not next episode, next session. I meant session. And transition. Okay, so second session, second half of this episode um let's break down ice um ice was everywhere around the winter um i mean it was fucking like they were like literally i'm gonna break down just how close they were to the uh arctic circle um just so we can kind of get an idea of how close they were so if you were in norway and let's just go from edda because i talked about edda um 
Uh, let's just talk about Edda Norway. Um, which is well, it's so Edvin or Edda, I do believe, is approximately. Um, let's see. Let's see just how far from the Arctic Circle. So to the Arctic Circle is roughly, they're only about 1,300 miles from the Arctic Circle. That's just how close they are to the Arctic Circle. <coughs> 1,200 miles from my place is like Washington, pretty much. Like, uh, like middle, mid-Washington. Uh, I think it's like going to be like, maybe like Seattle or something like that. I think maybe, I don't know exactly how many miles of it, but seriously though, like it's not even like Canada yet. Which is we consider Canada cold, you know, in the U.S., man. So uh, we're not even close to the cold place um, where it like freezes and shit. So um, I'm going to talk about the Rune Issa um, because it has a very special place um, in Satoru and that sort of thing. Uh, not necessarily like in this like a special place, but it is it's the rune of ice. Um, it means ice. Um, it represents blockage, uh, standstill. Um, it's sort of like this sort of like a, a, a period where the path or journey you're on has to stop due to bad or good circumstances. It's not like a determined like oh it's good or oh, it's bad. It just kind of stops. Um, let just go to this other bookmark I got for runes. Um, and I'll cover more about the, the rune Issa. So for Issa, um, it can represent a challenge or frustration, um, psychological blocks, uh, just thought or activity, including grievances, um, to stand still, or a time to turn inward and wait for it to come, or to seek clarity. This is sort of like, if you got mental and emotional um, reasons to second guess yourself or question something, it then you're gonna get a saw, and it's going to come to fruition that way. Um, uh, this rune reinforces the runes around it, so it's really it's a bind rune. Um, it's binding rune. It reinforces things, which is sort of like a fortification in that sense. It gives strength to other runes and sort of like so you throw isa, yera. And Turisas together got one badass uh, bind rune. Oh, in which, I mean, or uh, you go with Ingwas and uh, Isai also can be um, pretty solid. So this kind of gives, um, it just kind of gives like a strength to other runes around it. Um, in the, in the main staff though, um, it can represent the uh, the opposition of size, egomania, dullness, blindness, um, dissipation, treachery, illusion, deceit, betrayal, guile, stealth, ambush, and plots. All of these things just kind of represent Loki in a way. So, um, you know, that is it, as it is. 
Um, it's kind of up to what you want to make it so it kind of covers that a little bit, but like even more so, um, ice is very, very important to both chaos and order. And I think that's kind of like the point that, um, it's, uh, it's important in a lot of ways. So I'm just going to leave that there and I'm not sure what to talk about. Um, I'm not sure exactly what to follow up with this, but uh, that's ice, and that's uh, and ice is Niflheim, and so kind of one and the same. Um, talk about hold uh, transition. Last and finally, I will cover Nidhogg. So Nidhogg um, is a dragon or some sort of serpentine-like beast that dwells the bottom of the roots of Yggdrasil. Um, some stories say that he just kind of chills there. Some say that he chews on the roots, waiting for Ragnarok to happen. He uh, chills very, very nasty. Um, he's locked in a flighting with a uh, eagle that lives on the top of the tree. And uh, Ratatasker, or Ratatask, uh, is a squirrel that bounces back and forth between the top and the bottom of the tree. Um, dispensing the, the, the flighting between the two. Um, so Nidhogger literally um, translates from the Old Norse to curse striker or he who strikes with malice. Um, it is the four, uh, he is the foremost of several serpents or dragons that uh, dwell um, beneath the world tree, Yggdrasil, um, and eats its roots. Um, so I'm now reading from uh, northmythology.org. Um, this is highly interest to the tree, which holds the nine worlds in the cosmos. Um, Nidhogg's actions, um, have the intent, intention of pulling the cosmos back into chaos. Um, and he, along with his reptilian cohort, can therefore surely be classified among the giants, um, or as they were called in pre-Christian times, devourers. Um, which is kind of an interesting idea. Um, there's a, there's a, there were gods before the gods. Um, there's tells of that. Um, the show Ragnarok on uh, Netflix actually kind of covers this a little bit too that like the, the giants used to be worshipped as whatever um, yeah um, Hail Thor uh, from this it would make sense for Nidhogg to have a, uh, a prominent role in Ragnarok the downfall of the cosmos this does indeed seem to be the case um, in one experience especially important Old Norse poem, the Voluspa, um, which is inside of the Cirrus. Uh, Nidhogg is described as flying out from beneath the Yggdrasil during Ragnarok, presumably to aid the giant's cause. Later in the same poem, Nidhogg is also said to present or preside over part of the underworld called Nestrond, um, or the shore of corpses. Uh, I believe that um, Nastrond is a place where Loki is chained in the underworld in Helheim. Um, it would be where a cave of just made of snakes and poison and shit um, where perjurers, murderers, and adulterers were punished however this concept of the afterlife as marked by moral retribution is totally foreign to the indigenous worldview of the Norse and other Germanic peoples and must be an instance of Christian influence upon the poem I, I think Nassar may have been a thing possibly before Christian influence 
Um, but more than likely, it was probably nutrition-inspired. But if Nascon was a place, um, it kind of sounds like where they tie, they take Loki up after the killing of Balder, and they find him after the fish and whatnot, um, after Loki-sana. Um, so, that is um, the back, background on Nidhogg. Um, he's kind of, you know, seen as like a reptilian dragon deal, or a serpentine dragon kind of dude. He just kind of chills in the underground. Um, there's sort of a belief that, like, uh, your soul will go into Helheim, and then, um, if you're real fucked up, you go to Niflheim, and you be are eaten. Um, your soul is eaten then by Nidhogg. Um, which I could totally see that being a thing as well. Um, there were really fucked up people then and now that I think deserve a place like that and that need a place like that to, you know, kind of deal with them properly. And so I'm totally down for that. Um, I'll probably end up covering more on runes and things later on. Um, I kind of want to make the next episode, like, really about the runes. Um, but I'm kind of learning. Uh, well, I'm learning about Seder, and I'm learning more and more about Seder. I already have some divination. I've done some um, some Haiti sort of stuff, some Seder Haiti. And whatnot, um, crossing in, you know, city centering myself in Gar and that kind of stuff. So, um, otherwise, I'll probably make the next episode about the ruins and say that and magic and Galdar and see what I can find about that um, as best I can. Um, otherwise, you guys have a good rest of your week and I'll uh, see you in the next episode. Hail.